So. <laughs> well, I, I'm crying. <laughs> I don't often cry. Oh, but that was just so good. Like you three girls who've just led worship. Just, yeah, I just really feel God here with us. And the girl playing the piano. Yes, in the bright lights. <laughs> hello, what's your name? Faye. Faye, hello Faye. Just something you said sort of right early on, just, you know, I mean, you said lots of good things about feeling weary, but just something you said just about the brokenness um, that's sort of in all of us. But yet, you know, we sort of believe as we stand in this place that we've got a God who builds out of brokenness. That is exactly what I'm feeling for you. And, you know, I've spoken to lots of people today and I've had some really wonderful conversations, but, you know, in, in me and in all of us, the, you know, we're broken, we need God, don't we? <laughs> and, uh, you know, just enjoyed that worship so much. Thank you, you three girls. <laughs> it was really beautiful. God is so here with you. You're such a beautiful people in this church and um, I'm just going to start again you know there's lots of stories always <laughs> but um, we did zooming in and zooming out this morning and now we're going to do a different type of travel which is sort of zooming back and zooming forwards so if you could um, zoom back to January 2020 uh, so, you know, a lot's happened since then, hasn't it? <laughs> a lot of things that we kind of didn't really expect or predict. Um, and, but if you zoom back to January 2020, I was in my bed one Sunday morning, I think. Might not have been a Sunday, but I was just spending time with God. And um, uh, there's been sort of seasons in my life. And sort of sometimes, not always, God's given me a bit of a heads up and sort of said, I think you're coming into a new season now. And then it uh, you know, and, and God sort of, I, I saw in my mind's eye a sort of book and the pages were turning and, and God said, you know, you're, you're coming into a new season. And in one way that was quite explainable naturally, you know, um, I many of you will know Ian Galloway, um, who's led City Church in Newcastle for, you know, decades. He was sort of transitioning um, out of leadership and um, a new lead elder, James um, Shepherd, was transitioning in. So, you know, one sentence, like, of course we're coming into a new season. We've got completely new sort of um, church is going through sort of a major transition. You know, the sort of founding elder um, is moving on and, you know, there's something completely new happening. And then I saw in my mind's eye, uh, I just kind of zoomed out from the book and the page is turning and God just said to me, it's not just a new season that you're going into, Roz and Andy. It's a whole new era. And I saw that the smaller pages were part of a much bigger page, and that bigger page was turning. And those words, sort of new era, just kind of got me. Um, and then obviously, um, you know, I sort of thought, this is just about me and Andy and City Church. And then, But within a few weeks of January 2020, obviously, um, a virus in China 
started to affect all of us. And uh, still the new words, new era, uh, sort of were alive in me. But then I started to hear other people using those words. I mean, the word that everybody used at the beginning of the pandemic was unprecedented. Everybody was saying, this is unprecedented. Like, you just heard that word all the time, didn't you? Unprecedented, unprecedented. And you kind of, I hadn't ever heard the word unprecedented <laughs> sort of said so much. I totally agreed with it. It was totally unprecedented, um, you know, if you're less than 100. Um, <laughs> it was an unprecedented event. But then, you know, more and more people started... Um, to um, use the word new era. And it started to become obvious that despite the enormous suffering, pain, loss, grief, the challenges of the pandemic and the mess that it all brought, that somehow there were also sort of positives emerging from something that was causing chaos. You know, uh, you sort of looked around and you could see that somehow the world was taking a bit of a breath, perhaps. You know, you saw satellite images of pollution reducing. Um, some people's lives, not everybody's, but some people's lives seemed to slow right down and people started to appreciate smaller, much more local things. And, um, and it just felt somehow like a pause for some people. <laughs> you know, this is a position of privilege often, but it felt like that perhaps there's this whole new opportunity for the world um, to change for the better, perhaps, you know. Um, and this phrase, new era, just started popping up everywhere. And I read uh, quite a lot, like, sort of newsy stuff I love reading. And, you know, just you started... Even Rishi Sunak started saying, this is a new era. <laughs> um, you know, politicians were using that word, and, I, you know, I'm not particularly political. And uh, an Indian writer who, like Arundhati Roy, writing in the Financial Times, said, historically, pandemics have forced humans to break with the past and imagine their world anew. And this one's no different. It's a portal, a gateway between one world and the next. And we're all sort of standing in this point in history. There's a lot of mess around. Um, but there's also, uh, you know, hope and uh, a sense of potential in, in the new ahead and the sense that somehow, even as a whole planet, that we could be at some kind of change point. And obviously, then, sort of, for the Oak, too, and City Church, too, you know, you're at this sort of era-changing moment in the life of your church. You know, the pandemic sort of... Um, highlighted that, but you know, you're at a huge transition point and you're in this sort of space, you're coming back together for the first time after, you know, a big, big break from gathering in the same room. And um, uh, you're, 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 up, you're standing at this sort of turning point in, in your history as well as the world standing in a sort of turning point in its history. And um, Haggai, a book in the Bible, is about the people of Israel at a similar turning point, um, a cosmic turning point in their history. And I'm going to be talking very briefly this morning from the book of Haggai in the Old Testament. It's a tiny, tiny little book. It's two chapters long. There's not many books in the Bible that are two chapters long. It's completely hidden right at the end of the Old Testament. And nothing about it has ever drawn me to it. It's, um, it you know, I've never sort of 
had a moment in Haggai. But <laughs> um, as um, I was thinking about New Era, I just became completely captivated with this time in the story of the Israelites. Um, and really, it's a New Era message. It's a message for a people who are in a bit of a mess. Um, but it's a message to a people who God is now going to use to build and restore. And as you've already heard about me, I um, love climbing mountains. I'm sorry to go on about it so much. I know it's a bit boring of you for those people who don't like to climb mountains. But I especially like climbing mountains in the Lake District. And it's nice and close, so it's easy to get to. And I love its mountains and its views. Um, but I also love its history. It's full of the history. You know, the landscape in the Lake District actually tells a story. There's these beautiful farm buildings. And, and each f it's very distinctive. Each field is bound by a dry stone wall and you know each of those dry stone walls has been made by a farmer uh, often over many many generations and in December 2015 Storm Desmond <laughs> you couldn't make these names up could you Storm Desmond came to the Lake District um, and Desmond doesn't I'm sorry if there's anyone called Desmond here <laughs> um, Desmond doesn't sound like a very powerful name, but actually Desmond was really, really powerful. And chaos and destruction came to a place of great beauty. And, you know, on a global scale, it wasn't a massive disaster, but roads were swept away, bridges collapsed, Pooley Bridge collapsed. There was masses of flooding, businesses were destroyed, and it brought absolutely chaos to the area and we were there the summer after and I climbed a favourite hill which is this one above a campsite that we often stay at, it's high, hot, soft it's not very high but you get a lovely view and I, I could not believe the power of the storm as I looked down off the top of that hill at the valley, basically there was just rubble everywhere stones everywhere and it had never I've been up there a number of times, it had never looked like that before but the water the power of the water from the storm had just brought down just just rock, masses of rock. And it just lay scattered across these huge fields. You thought, how on earth did it get there? It's just such a mess. And I, I looked at it. I stood on the top of that hill and I looked at it. I just thought, that is such a mess. Like, that's too big a mess to sort out. That is such a mess. And as I was thinking those things, God spoke to me. And he said... The power of a storm is destructive. There is just so much rubble and debris. But if you choose, you can build that rubble to build something beautiful. And, you know, obviously what I love about the Lake District is the houses and the walls. And I realised, oh, the houses and the walls are uh, built from all this rubble. Wow, you know, the people picked up that rubble and they built something absolutely beautiful. And, you, you know, you have a choice how to build. Um, and God said to you, I can build, God said to me, I can build something beautiful with all this mass. And a few years later, I went back, climbed the same hill, wondering, I was kind of going, God, what's happened? What's happened to all the rubble? And I went back up the hill, um, turned around, and I just totally gasped. But it, because somebody had completely cleared that all of that stuff up. And there in the corner of one of the fields by the farmhouse was this enormous, like enormous pile of boulders, rubble, stones. Just, uh, that's actually not it. It was much bigger than that. 
I didn't take a photo of it, <laughs> but that, I just Googled pile of stones, and that's what came up. <laughs> but, the, like, I could, you know, it's huge, and the boulders within it were a lake district round, washed by the water, and it, they were totally enormous. But the, the pile was there, ready to be used to build. And uh, it got me thinking, and um, because one way or another... We all experience a kind of storm in our lives, and it's often unexpected. Um, uh, and in many ways, the pandemic has been an unexpected storm for many people. You know, something powerful and seemingly sort of incredibly destructive appears to spoil something really beautiful and precious in our life. And, you know, the world is full of people who've experienced this don't need to go very far to see that. You know, our hopes and our dreams, maybe a friendship, a job, even your marriage, children, you know, maybe even a church we've been part of. And somehow something that you had experienced as beautiful or you thought was beautiful just starts to feel like a complete mess. And uh, like a storm has somehow spoiled it. And that perhaps it's just become really too much of a mess to ever be able to sort it out. Um, maybe that might never recover. And that somehow, even if somebody collected the stones, somehow the landscape will always be scarred. And we can all feel really like this in life, can't we? I know I can, definitely. And uh, I'm, all, I'm in one of those phases now and, uh, where in many ways I feel like a bit of a mess. And, as I listen and I talk to lots of people, I feel like I can hear lots of people saying the same thing. And I wonder if it's a bit of a pandemic, post-pandemic mess. Um, you know, we're just, there's just a lot of mess around. And, you know, as the people of God, we're not exempt from that mess. And we can slightly lose sight of how God uh, might be using us to build very much at all. And it's the same in Haggai. The Israelites felt exactly the same because by the time of the story in Haggai, they are in a complete mess. The people of Israel, they sound quite godly and stuff like that because the people of Israel does, doesn't it? But they are basically in a total mess. Um, I'm going to whiz through a series of slides um, quickly just to give you a massive warning. But they start, in, basically, Abraham gets... Did the arrows come up? Yeah, yeah. So Abraham gets called by God. You know, sounds like it's going to be amazing. People are God, you know. Gets called by Abraham, um, calls by God. But then they end up slaves in Egypt. So that's a bit of a mess, which is totally the opposite of the blessing that appears to have been promised to Abraham. Then Moses leads them out of captivity into the desert. But they're a bit of a mess even there, and they wander around in the desert for 40 years, and the whole thing's quite a mess. And then eventually they get into the promised land, but they only very slowly and painfully sort of fight their way through it. Uh, and then obviously there's some loads of amazing stuff in the middle of it, so I'm sort of I hope I'm not committing a theological crime. <laughs> Super summarising it. But, you know, there's a lot of mess in there. There's a lot of disappointment. There's a lot of pain and sin and rebellion. And eventually, they finally reach Jerusalem and uh, they build this huge and glorious temple. Solomon builds that. You know, this is it. They've arrived. They're in the promised land. It's looking good. It's, you know, it's kind of going well. Um, but things don't get easier. 
They, uh, there's war after war. Uh, there's disobedience after disobedience. Prophet after prophet rises up, urging the Israelites to put God first. Uh, they, don't, they don't pay any attention, or very few of them pay any attention. And so eventually, uh, the people of God are handed over to their enemies, and um, the temple's completely destroyed, uh, the thing that they completely wanted, uh, you know, the place where the very presence of God dwells. They're brutally taken captive, leave the promised land, and end up right back where they started, slaves in a foreign land in complete distress and in complete mess. It's a total disaster. They're right back where they started. Like, the storm has well and truly hit. Like, what is happening, God? They're completely, you know, not in the right place. And eventually, a group of 50... uh, After 70 years in exile um, in Babylon, God moves the heart of Cyrus, a Persian king, who then encourages the exiled Jews to return back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple and the city. And obviously, Ezra tells us that story. And, you know, this is mass migration of people, a a group of 50,000 of them returned back to Jerusalem and spent one year rebuilding. So it's, it's looking good again. People of God, they're back, and they're rebuilding But then the mess comes again. They just totally stopped. They completely stopped rebuilding the temple. Um, There's opposition, discouragement, passivity, and the work just stood totally still for 16 or 17 years. The people were just so discouraged. And uh, we can all relate to this. Um, But then... After 16, 17 years of no building, God breaks in again. And the prophetic comes again. Uh, Haggai rises up. Zechariah rises up. And this is the era sort of changing moment. So the Israelites are there again after all that. And they're standing on the foundations of that temple. It's a huge sort of change moment for them. And it's, it's a bit of a new era moment. And at these sort of new era moments, you do a lot of looking around, I find. It's that whole looking back. You look back at the... You look forward, you look back. You know, I think we've all been doing this a bit in the pandemic. You sort of... You look back at, at, at the past and uh, you're very aware of the reality of the present. You know, that's right in your face. And your heart's full of the joys, but also of the pains of the past. And you've got this sort of sense of poignancy about the pains in the past, but we've still got such hopes and such dreams for the future, you know, for our lives and for this church and what we'll do with, with our lives and what, what this church is going to do and how we might reach the people around us. You know, what does this new era hold? And and obviously Oak Church is at this sort of era-changing moment. You know, you're standing on the completed foundations, and the Israelites were doing that too. But they're standing there on the completed foundations, and they just don't want to build. They don't want to build. Um, They don't feel ready to build. Uh, There's a drought. The crops are failing. Uh, They're focused on building their own houses, and so they say the time hasn't yet come for us to build. Um, for the Lord's house to be built. And into that situation and that whole history, God says four things. Um, God says, consider your ways. I'm with you. Here's the next slide, Gareth. Thank you. So consider your ways. I am with you. I will stir, stir you. 
I will shake you and fill you with glory. And I'm going to move through these quite quickly, but you, um, you know, they've, they, it's, we can relate to this. Give careful thought to your ways. You've planted much, but have harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You put on clothes, but you're not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. And this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build the house. Uh, which, by which he means the temple, so that I might take pleasure in it and be honoured. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I, I blew away. And, you know, these are piercing words from God. He's calling a whole community of people, 50,000 people at least, to repent, uh, to consider their ways, to consider how unfruitful their lives had become. They hadn't been putting God first. And God's turning, calling them to turn away and to start building in a different direction. And, you know, quite amazingly, they do immediately obey. You know, it's, it's sort of almost unprecedented in the history of Israel. There is immediate repentance and obedience. And this is such a challenge to us. You know, what are we building? What are we putting first in our lives? Are we building in a way that build, brings pressure to God's? Are we building a place where we can meet God? You know, what, what is it that we need to turn away from as people and even as a church uh, and, and say sorry for? You know, God's challenging us. And it's not even just a challenge just to the church and just to us as individuals. I think in this time, God is challenging the whole world. And I think the world's been doing this. Consider your ways. You know, so many people have been doing that. Did you know that something called the Great Resignation is an actual thing? Have you heard of it? The other name for it is a big quit. The big quit. So more people than uh, ever before in recent times are handing in their notice at work. Uh, it's gone up. UK's the highest in Europe. America's really high. But people just re-evaluating their lives. You know, what am I building? You know, what are my priorities? I don't want to do that in, anymore. I want to turn away and build like this. Um, so, you know, there's this huge sort of societal phenomenon going on. You know, there's a, an increased interest, despite years of the prophets talking about climate change, it's like there's, we're interested now. <laughs> we're listening. You know, oh, okay, I think we actually might have a problem. And people are actually, for the first time, considering their ways and making changes. Uh, women and the reality of their existence on the streets, Sarah Everard's murder, you know, oh, it gets society. Like, we can't do this anymore. You know, there have been so many murders. Women have lived with this for decades. But something's happening in society that's like, no, we're not going to do this anymore. Men, keep women safe. Um, you know, there's this huge reevaluation going. Black Lives Matter. It's all happening in the last 18 months, you know. Racism is not new. Racism has been a problem for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years in every direction. But I hope there's change. And certainly, you know, it did kick off 
a big conversation, and I hope that conversation is continuing. There's political upheaval, there's Trump, Trump and Brexit. It's all causing masses of reflection, even within the church. There's all these disasters happening in really famous churches. Bill Hybels, Ravi Zacharias, the Mars Hill podcast recently, really helpfully reflecting on abuses of power and privilege within churches. We're in a massive sort of moment of sort of reflection inside and outside the church. You know, there's just so much need for repentance, not just externally to us. Um, it's within us as well, and it's within our churches. You know, we need to consider our ways. We are considering our ways. And, you know, repentance is a deeply personal thing, but we need to repent. But what does God say when you do repent? What does God say? And what did God say to the Israelites immediately? It's breathtaking. Imagine it. There's 50,000 people there realizing they've completely messed up. What's the next thing God says to them? Not, I told you so, you naughty people. <laughs> like I've been telling you for thousands and thousands of years. As soon as they say sorry and change their ways and obey, what does God say? It says four words. No long speech. It's just four words. But it's four words that when you hear them, when each one of us hears them, it just changes everything. It's four words that our souls desperately need to hear. And it, those are the four words. I am with you. And God wants you to know something. That he wants that you to get this deep in your soul. Those words. Your past, your present, your future. I'm with you. He wants to use you. He's, he's got a purpose for you, each one of you. He wants to fill you. He wants to speak to you. He wants to walk with you. He wants to lead you. He wants to love you. And he says it to this church. He says, like, Oak Church, West Leeds, I am with you. Like, and I can feel it. I can see it, that worship. He's with you. He's in you. He loves you. you he's made you. And uh, I'm really excited about what God's doing here and in the world, because I think what this passage tells us is that he's stirring our spirits. Uh, so in this passage, it says uh, the Lord, so the Lord stirred up uh, the spirit of Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, and it stirred up the spirit of Joshua, the high priest, and the spirit of the whole remnant of the people. And they came and began work on the house of the Lord the Almighty their God with the stirred up spirit. So this stir up, in Hebrew, that word is U-W-R. It's a really strange word. I can't say it. What does it mean? Well, so, I can't say that. How do you say that? <laughs> it doesn't sound very stirring, but that's the word used in this passage. And it means stir up, move hearts, like awaken. And I think that's what God's doing in this time. He's stirring us up. And that doesn't always feel easy. Sometimes that can feel really hard and really confusing. But he's moving our hearts. He's awakening something in us. You know, what does that mean for you? What does it mean to have a stirred up spirit? What does that feel like for you to have a stirred up spirit? 
because you can't build with a heart that doesn't want to. And actually, you can't really do anything with a heart that doesn't want to do it. You know, we, we all know that. If there's a job you want to do and your heart's not really in it, you, you can kind of crack on with it. But, you know, to build with a bit of, <laughs> you know, you really want to do it. Um, and, you know, the ur didn't just come to Zerubbabel and Joshua. There's that word again. If you look at the passage, do you know who the ur came to? It was the whole. So the whole remnant got their spirit stirred. So this is not just for a few people. Um, this is for every single one of us. And it's really easy for us as church to get confused. And leaders can get the most confused of all because despite standing here, church is not a platform. It is not a stage. It is not its leaders. It is not a performance. It's not a tele-program. It's you. It's each of us, each of us filled with the Spirit of God when we gather together in a room just like this one and then get sent out by that Spirit into your lives, into your jobs, into your family, into your everyday. It's you. Church is you. Church is the people of God doing the work of God. That's what the church is. It isn't anything other than that. We're a body. We're whole. We're one. We need each other, each one of us in this body playing our parts, you know, whether we're a hand or a knee or an earlobe even. You know, each body is, each part of the body has a part to play. You belong. You're so valuable to this body. You're called here to be filled with the Spirit, to be stirred by the Spirit and awakened by that Spirit. Because church isn't you sitting here and sitting still in an upper room listening to me or anyone else. There's nothing wrong with sitting. I like sitting. <laughs> but I, I know that it gets quite tiring sitting for too long. You need to get up and you need to do stuff. And I know that you've got thoughts and ideas and dreams that God's breathed into you, ways that he's going to use you in your life, ways that you can reach out to people around you and even to the ends of the earth. Uh, the church can't really do anything without you because you are the church. And although, it's me going back onto buildings again, but... I don't think you've got a particular problem with a building, by the way. <laughs> this is just... But, um, and although church buildings are a complete gift from God, the building isn't the church either. We're in it to get out of it. We're here right now in order to get out of it and to reach the people around us and to welcome them back in. So, and I'm slightly aware this is going to start sounding like James Bond. Because we talked about stirring, and now I'm going to talk about shaking. Um, <laughs> um, but God's saying not only is he going to stir us, but he's also shaking us. And in this passage, um, there's a cosmic shaking. In a little while, I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all nations and the desired of all nations will come and I will fill 
my, this house with my glory. And we've been through an almighty shaking in many ways. And, you know, maybe there's more shaking to come and maybe there's shaking going on right now in the details of your life and and what you're experiencing. But God wants you to know that in the shaking, he, he is going to fill you with his glory. Like, hold on to him. And, but in the shaking, he is going to fill this house, that's you, with his glory. And um, it reminds me a little bit of that passage in Acts, um, which I mentioned earlier this morning, where, you know, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, you know, as, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And, and the consequence of that that shaking and Holy Spirit filling was that they all then spoke the word of God boldly. So God's stirring us. He's shaking us. We're not to be frightened of that. Um, But it's all with the purpose of filling this house with his glory. And he goes beyond that. He says it's not just the glory of this present house. He says the glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house. In other words, the best is yet to come. The glory of the the glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house. So, like am I at, how much time have I got left? Yeah, I'm coming to the end, yeah. So <laughs> No, I'm I'm just going to, it's fine. So, yeah, that's it. (laughs) Um, Yeah, God, Oak Church is here. There's been an almighty shaking, but be encouraged. He wants to stir your spirits. He is stirring your spirits. He will fill you with his spirit. And the whole purpose of that is his glory filling the earth. Um, I'm too excited. <laughs>